Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's good to have you tuned in. Makes you wonder, what would he say today? If that was immoral, wonder what he would say after watching five minutes of our public television. You don't even need to see a program, you just got to see some of the commercials that come on. What would he say? And do we care? Actions have consequences. Israel had sinned and they had replaced true repentance with religion in an attempt to appease God. Judgment was coming. Judgment is coming. The question is, are you ready? Let's join Dr. Corbett now as we go back into the book of Let's Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 4. Father, as we open your word up to pretend to examine it, we know, Lord, that your word will open up our hearts and not pretend it will examine us. And Father, help our hearts to be responsive to you, to be open to you, to have hearts that say, God, come in and speak right into my soul right now, I pray. Make me into the person you want me to be. Help me not to be resistant to you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Jeremiah part 10. And at this rate, we will be finished in about 2016, which is pretty much on track. So we're, on, we're right on track. So we're looking at Jeremiah. He's the second of the major prophets. You recall that Jeremiah prophesied, you know, in the time frame of prophets, he was after Isaiah. Uh, during Jeremiah's ministry, the prophet Ezekiel um, came up about halfway um, half, sort of right toward the, the, the middle end of Jeremiah's prophecy, the prophet Ezekiel begins to feature in, just in that timeline. And we have Jeremiah, this extraordinary man with an extraordinary message who is, is top of the list when Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, and, and they say, right at the top of the list, some say, you are Jeremiah. You've got to wonder, why would they say that? What was it about Jesus that reminded the public of Jeremiah? And I, I think in this section, and, and that's what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to look at the, the prophetic utterances of Jeremiah in sections, and we're going from verse Five, and you'll be thrilled to know that we're actually going to make our way to the end of this chapter, so down to verse 31. But you'll, you'll hear echoes of Christ, or should we say it the other way around, Christ will utter things that Jeremiah uttered in this section of prophecy, and he'll almost utter them verbatim. Chapter 4. So we're going chapter 4. We're starting at verse 5 in just a moment <clears throat> and so let's have a look at this opening verse of this section jeremiah chapter 4 verse 5 declare in judah and proclaim in jerusalem and say blow the trumpet through the land cry aloud and say assemble and let us go into fortified cities so here is the, the prophet in this section, he, he, he has this expression, blow the trumpet. And of course, it, it conjures the picture of somebody on the walls at the, at the corners and the stations on the wall. There were these, these things called watchtowers where the, 
the person keeping guard under the, the threat of war could blow the trumpet, probably nothing like that, and announce to the city, get ready, we're under attack. And the prophet Joel would say this in, in chapter 2 of his chapter, set, uh, uh, set the trumpet to your mouth, and he, would, he uttered these words as well, blow a trumpet in Zion. And here's Jeremiah saying the same thing. In other words, something is about to happen. Now, if you've read the book of Jeremiah, if you know the history of, of Jerusalem and Israel around this period, you, you read this and go, well, yeah, because they're about to be invaded. We know that. They didn't. In fact, what we're going to see in a moment is that they were arrogant about the fact they thought that they never could be invaded. They thought that God's presence exemplified in the temple meant that this was like some sort of good luck charm that meant no one would ever attack them. Never. It will never happen. Jeremiah, never. Well, Jeremiah is announcing this, and we're going to see in a moment just how shocking this was to them that judgment was about to come. Judgment was about to come. And, and as Jeremiah is declaring this, he, he is so out of step with where culture was. He's just completely out of step because... Everything looked fine. They were enjoying all the pleasures they could want for. The priests were participating in all of the things that the law of Moses seemed to prescribe. What's the problem, Jeremiah? What's the problem? Everything seems to be going along quite fine. Well, God has been showing Jeremiah that while on the outside everything might appear fine, if you take a closer look through the eyes of God, things are in a horrible mess. So all of this was taking place on the Sabbath. You would have noticed the animal being sacrificed. There's a clue. This was the Sabbath. What's happening on the Sabbath? There's commerce happening. There's trade happening. Well, what's the problem with that? God's word says, this is the day to honour me. Come aside from your work. And Jeremiah begins to see what he'd always seen, but not through the eyes of God. And now it looks quite different. He sees the, the idols. He sees the prostitution in the city. Israel, Jerusalem, had become phenomenally immoral. And Jeremiah is decrying it. Makes you wonder, what would he say today? If that was immoral, wonder what he would say after watching five minutes of our public television. You don't even need to see a program. You just got to see some of the commercials that come on. What would he say? And do we care? We're reading from verse 6. Raise a standard towards Zion. Flee for safety, stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. Verse 7, a lion has gone up from its thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste and the cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Now again, we read this 
And we think, well, yeah, of course, we know what's going to happen. They didn't. And it was at a time when they were prospering. It was at a time where everything seemed to be fine. If anything, it looked like God was blessing them. And the prophet is saying, get ready, you're about to be invaded. God is going to destroy this land. Not one person will be left in this city alive. You've got to look at it and go, Jeremiah, what are you talking about? And he says this, an enemy will come from the north and he calls that enemy a lion. Now this is interesting because we're going to, I, I want you to see how the Bible uses metaphors, word pictures. We use metaphors all the time, don't we? We, we say it's raining cats and dogs. <laughs> now, if you do not have an ability to process metaphors, you are currently going to look out there going, I'm not seeing what he's seeing. We, we, we talk about um, Geelong slaughtering the hawks. <laughs> we, we talk about Geelong toying with the hawks for a two-point victory, stringing them out all day, wearing them out and just kicking that final goal. And we don't mean toying, we don't mean cats and dogs and we don't mean slaughter. These are words that we use to paint a picture of something else. That's a metaphor. And here's a metaphor that Jeremiah is using of the enemy that was about to come. He calls the enemy a lion. Now, this is very deliberate and it's very specific. At the time Jeremiah was writing this, there was a world empire. And the world empire was Assyria. Assyria was the world empire. We we know of Assyria as Persia. But that wasn't the lion that Jeremiah was talking about. Now, curiously, in Assyria, they have found statues of lions. But there was... A young nation, so to speak, young in the sense of a world empire, rising up at about this time, that was not seen as a threat at all, and it was to Israel's north. And as it was forming under its leader, Nebuchadnezzar, it adopted an emblem. And the emblem was a lion, literally a lion. And here's a, a, a photo of a recent excavation. This was done um, in between 1899 and 1917 by some German archaeologists who uncovered this in ancient Babylon. And it's the picture of a lion trampling a man. You may be able to make out that there's a man under there being trampled on by the lion. And it speaks of the might of the Babylonian Empire conquering surrounding nations unearthed around 1899 to 1917. This is is the picture that Jeremiah is giving. A lion is coming out of the thicket and he's speaking of Babylon. Now, Babylon was really not not a, a force to be thought of at all. So if Jeremiah is saying, Babylon is going to come in and destroy you, they would have looked at like, Babylon? It seemed nonsensical. And here's, if you can, if you can just stop and pause for a moment and look at this text and realize God knows what he's about and he's able to declare things that look nonsense to us and he's able to bring those things to pass and this is what happened a lion but here's what I want you to also consider God calls himself a lion 
Jesus, God, is described as the something of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, what we're going to see here is a very interesting biblical principle that God is saying, I am coming to judge. Get that I, and he's going to say this overtly in a moment. Um, For example, in verse 13, he says, I am coming on the clouds to judge you. And yet he's talking about using the Babylonians to do this. Now, I think this is important for us to understand because sometimes when we pray, God, I need your blessing, we think it's just going to fall out of the sky when in fact God is going to use people to bring that blessing. And when we pray, and I don't know if you do pray this, it's pretty gutsy to pray this, but God, I need you to correct me. Where I'm wrong, I need you to correct me. And by the way, we're going to read Jeremiah praying that in a few chapters where he he just comes aside with God and it's a beautiful prayer. And he he says it in chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. You might just read that Jeremiah himself prays this as he's prophesying about judgment for, for his people. He says, oh God, Who am I to give these words? If there's anything in me that you find displeasurable, correct me. And I love the way he finishes up that prayer. But do it gently. Well, do you pray for God to correct you? Do you hope that you're on course? Do you hope that you're on track? Do you hope that you're not self-deceived? Do you hope that you are walking with God and following him closely? Do you ask God to ensure that this is the case? It's one of my constant prayers. How's God going to do it? Chances are he's going to use people to do it. And this is what Jeremiah is saying here, that these people were going to be judged by God, but God was going to use the Babylonians to do it. Of course, if you know anything about the prophet Habakkuk, when when God revealed something similar to him, his, his question was, hang on, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Judah, Jerusalem, we're, we're sinners, we're deserving of your punishment, and you're going to use who to do it? If you read the book of Habakkuk, God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it. And the prophet Habakkuk says, um, excuse me, God, can we just have a talk for a minute? You're going to use the Babylonians? You're calling us sinners and you're going to use them to judge us? What? They're far worse than us. So this was a a point of confusion for these people, how God could do this. Let's have a look at verse 8. Here's the the response that the prophet calls for. For for this, put on sackcloth and lament and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Oh, boy. The fierce anger of the Lord. I know that there are some people that have no comprehension, no ability to comprehend that God is an extremely passionate God. He feels anger. He feels tremendous joy. The Bible says that there, in the prophet Zechariah said that he's able to rejoice over us with what? Thank you that both of those people are singing. It's awesome. The biblical literacy here is brilliant. That's, but that's right, with singing. God rejoices over, over those that take delight in him with singing. Do you have a picture of a God 
singing? Or have you only got a picture of a God who's angry? We need to understand we're created in the image of this God with an ability to feel this gamut of emotions. So here's the prophet saying, this is not a time for celebrating. This is not a time for fooling yourself and thinking that everything's okay. This is a time for putting on sackcloth. What is sackcloth? I think the closest sort of thing we can come to is something that looks like potato sack. And, and you know, I'm pretty... I'm a pretty manly man, but if I get a T-shirt and it's got a tag on it, it's like, that tag has got to come off. I'd be hopeless wearing sackcloth because this thing would be like, Gah. get it. But that's the point. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be every move you make, it's supposed to feel aggravating and itchy and it's, it's meant to say, hey, remember why you're wearing this. And why you're wearing this is, and, and as I, I googled a, a picture of sackcloth, I talk about, I'll, I'll come to this point in a moment, but, but there, were, there, were, there were fashion designers that have tried to make sackcloth a trendy fashion statement. And you see these models coming down the, the gangwalk wearing sackcloth. You know, it's, it doesn't work. There's nothing you can do with it to make it look pretty. And there's nothing you can do with it to make it feel pretty. It's meant to be aggravating. It's meant to be a sign of saying, I am completely humbling myself. I'm in complete desperation here. That's what sackcloth does. And this is what the prophet is saying. Instead of fooling yourself, instead of kidding yourself, instead of thinking you're okay, God will never do anything to you, you've got to, you've got to realize, wait a minute, you need to put on sackcloth. You need to wail. Wail. I, yeah, I don't know if you ever heard wailing. What, that, that, that cry, that groan, that shriek of pain that tells everybody who's hearing the wailing something is wrong. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah is saying the people should be doing over the condition of their souls. So... Do we know the condition of our souls? Do we know how we would be without God? We could understand the context in which Jeremiah is giving these words, how much of a shock it was to the people. And I hope that as we read on, and let's do that from verse 9, that we'll begin to see that God is not interested in us looking religious. He's not interested in us winning the approval of kings and governors. He's not interested in us getting the applause of the public. He wants us to be faithful to him from our hearts. We read from verse 9. In that day declares the Lord, courage shall fail both king and officials. Priests shall be appalled and prophets astounded. Then I said, our Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying it will be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. At that time verse 11 it will be said to this people and to jerusalem a hot wind from the bare heights in the desert toward the daughter of my people not to winnow or cleanse a wind too full for this comes to me now it is i who speak in judgment upon them now this is a word picture of a of, a, of an army coming through the desert plains up to the city of jerusalem and the first thing the watchman can see is the cloud of dust 
And Jeremiah is saying, this is what you're going to see. It's going to come from an unexpected source. It is going to get you at a time when you are least ready, least prepared because your condition of your soul is so bad. Notice the language that he uses in verse 13. Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. The expression, the Lord riding clouds like a chariot is an expression that Jesus himself would use in Matthew 24, verses 29, 30, 31, where he says, Behold, the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven, not the clouds of earth, the clouds of heaven. And so coming in judgment has this metaphor picture of clouds. And we could read on of how judgment would come. We read down to verse 18. It says this, Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. And it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. For every sin, there is a consequence. And before you sin, and if you are contemplating and planning a really big sin, can I advise you against it? Can I advise you that in that moment of hesitation and temptation that you recall to mind, every sin has a consequence. It has a consequence that cannot be undone with forgiveness. Every sin has a consequence. And the prophet Jeremiah says, you've brought this on yourself. Wow. What Jeremiah was saying at this time was exactly opposite to what the prophets who were prophesying in Jerusalem were saying at the time. And as we reflect on this, you may want to have a look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus utters this three, in English, three-letter word more than any other chapter, woe. Jesus pronounced woe. The prophet Jeremiah pronounced woe and Jesus pronounced woe. And who did Jesus pronounce woe to? Those that were religiously proud. Those that thought they were better than everybody else because they were more religious than everybody else. And Matthew chapter 23, Jesus condemns it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you who, and he goes on, and he talks about all the things they did where their heart was a million miles away from God, but they looked to all intents and purposes as being very religious and very spiritual. Church, we don't want to just appear to be godly. We want our hearts to belong to God. So Jeremiah is saying something that is completely contrary to what the prophets were saying. And if you think about Jesus, when he was saying what he was saying, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uses this exact language to describe the destruction of Jerusalem in the lifetime of his disciples. And of course, that did happen. But that wasn't what the religious leaders were saying. The religious leaders were saying, God is with us. We will prosper. We will succeed. We will drive these Romans out and we will win. And Jesus, like Jeremiah, was saying, you've got it wrong. Your hearts do not belong to God. And while the scribes had filled their heads with all kinds of knowledge, it wasn't the right kind of knowledge, the kind of knowledge that brings intimacy with God. 
We're reading from verse 19. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Verse 20, crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? The standard is that insignia that was brought in in battle and the trumpet announced the assault. And in verse 22, this is what it says, For my people are foolish. Why? They know me not. They knew stuff, but they didn't know God. And later on, the prophet Jeremiah, I think it's in chapter 17, is going to say, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, but let him boast in this. What is it? That he knows me. That's the kind of knowledge we all need. You may not have a degree. You may not have a PhD. But if you know God, you know enough. You know enough. And if you do have a PhD and you think you know it all, you know nothing unless you know God. This is what the prophet is saying. It is foolish for people to think they know something if they don't know God. We, we, we could read on and we, we'll see Jeremiah is is really telling the people at this time that they've been fooled. They've been fooled by, by people who wanted to win their approval, by, wanted, by, by false prophets who wanted to say things that, that sounded good, sounded nice. Uh, my son uh, dropped in um, yesterday, Friday and Saturday, and uh, on his before returning to Hobart and said, Dad, I was in a, I was in a youth meeting where... Someone came in and said, you, you create your own reality by the words you speak. If you want something, you just have to speak it into existence. Now, I've got to tell you, that sounds really good. And in a big meeting, that can get you really hyped up and you can walk out there pumped. But I've got to tell you, that has more to do with the occult than it does with Christianity. That is not the kind of faith God is looking for. The kind of faith God is looking for is faith that will endure no matter what. Even if you don't get that shiny new car you're confessing and speaking and believing for, will you still love and trust God no matter what? That's biblical faith. And it sounds so out of step with all of the best-selling paperback books at the moment that people love to read. So we could read on. In, in this closing section where it says in verse 27, for thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. No, why not? Because God had a plan. And what was the plan? The plan was for his son to come and provide redemption, salvation, reconciliation. And in order for that to happen, there needed to be a functioning temple. There needed to be a functioning priesthood. There needed to be an inhabited Jerusalem. There needed to be all of these things set up that almost exactly replicated Jerusalem in the day of Jeremiah. And I've heard people romanticize Israel and it's idolatry. It is idolatry. Jesus condemned no other generation more than his own. And these were the religious Jews. You can be absolutely fooled into thinking 
that your religion is what God is after. And that's what they were fooled into thinking. So that's why the land would not be purposefully brought to a complete end. We read down in verse 31, For I heard a cry as a woman in labour, anguish as one giving birth to her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands, woe is me, I am fainting before my murderers. This is an unusual picture. If you think about a woman giving birth to her firstborn, um, I don't want to put any um, not yet mothers off childhood, but the first one hurts the most, so I'm told. So here's a woman giving birth to her firstborn. So this is the most pain. Now, where would your hands be if you were in the middle of this? Would they be doing this while you're giving birth? Not likely. Not likely. Hands outstretched. <laughs> yeah, Wendy's hands around her husband's neck. Um, <laughs> it's all your fault! <clears throat> we'll just edit that out. <laughs> but here's, is this an unusual picture? Here's a woman giving birth, and instead of worrying about that, she's, oh God, oh God, we have so many problems. Like, I would have thought that would have been one right there. You see what Jeremiah is saying? No matter what you think is your problem right now, it is nothing compared to the condition of your soul. Nothing. You know, and, and maybe you get an opportunity this week to speak with someone and how's, how's things going? Oh, really good, thanks. Uh, what, what, what did you do on the weekend? Well, I went to church. Oh, why would you go to church? Well, because I really wanted to get to know God better. Oh, well, whatever, you need a crutch. Well, how's the condition? Here's the question. How's the condition of your soul? Interesting to see how they'd respond. How's the condition of your soul? The fact that we're here today says something about the condition of our soul. We want God to feed and nourish our soul. And that is done in a unique way when we gather as the church, the sacrament of worship, when we come together to to feed on his grace together. So here we have this unusual picture. And so what's the New Testament application? Well, if you read the closing book of the Bible, you know that there is actually a judgment coming. Jesus spoke about it. The disciples preached about it. It was announced through the epistles. And the closing chapters of the Bible itself declare that it will come. One day, God will sit on a throne of judgment and all the living and all the dead will appear before him. Scripture says, Revelation chapter 20, about verse 9. Judgment is coming. Are you ready? I hope for the believer, we are. I hope that we can say, as we've heard this morning, that we don't stand before God in our own righteousness, our own ability. Thank God. We stand before God as someone who is hidden in Christ. I'm just looking for something. If I take this piece of paper on here, it's the charges of sin against us, and it's a litany. All of the things we've done wrong. If we were to stand before God as this piece of paper, we would be condemned for eternity because it's not the time it took us to sin. It's the person we've sinned against. He's an eternal God. Instead, when you accept the grace of Christ, accept the grace of God, you become hidden in Christ and you stand before God in Christ. Are you in Christ? Is Christ your saviour? We've been singing about it. Is Christ your saviour? Do you know people that need Christ as saviour? We want to announce to the world that Christ 
is a good saviour. Closing thought, when John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was dying, he'd long since gone blind, his memory wasn't sharp anymore, and his, his dying words were this, there's not a lot I can remember now, but I remember these two things, John Newton said. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great saviour. What a great thing to remember. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word and as we look at the prophet speaking to the, the heart condition of his generation, Lord, we read this separated by over two and a half thousand years and we don't want our heart to be hard to you. We don't want to become like the people of Jeremiah's generation. Father, we want to be humble enough to say, God, is there anything in us that you don't want there? Is there anything in us you want changed, corrected, removed? Do it, Lord, we pray. Have your way in us, we ask. Change us, mould us, shape us, fashion us, oh God. Lord, we want to be ambassadors for you. And Lord, I particularly think of those who are listening to me right now. They might be in their car, their kitchen, their bedroom. They might be going for a walk, wherever they are right now listening, that if they have never found peace with God, they'll take this time. And I'm talking to you right now, those of you listening to me right now, that you know you do not have peace with God right now. It is something you have put off. And I'm inviting you now, come home. Come to the saviour of your soul, the forgiver of your sin, the one who can love you like no one else in the universe. Come to him. Turn away from your sin. Confess your need for him. And you can be changed, not just for eternity, but from this day on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Judgment is coming. The question is, are you ready? Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 10, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website, findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We'll look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.